Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith, and I am our college teaching director over at our Anderson campus. So normally I'm over there uh, hanging out with the college kiddos, but most of them have left us. Uh, and so it gives uh, some of us that, that are normally speaking to college students, it gives us an opportunity to just kind of bounce around and, and get to see uh, some new faces. It's always a, a joy for me to come back to Southwood. I was the youth uh, director here for a couple years. And so, I mean, it's just, it's a joy and an honor for me to get to be with you this morning. Uh, I am excited to jump into, to continue in our series of the Psalms. We've been going through this all summer. Uh, A variety of speakers from a variety of perspectives have been looking at a variety of Psalms. And we're looking at these Psalms because what they are is they're this beautiful, poetic response to, to the tension that we feel between the revelation of our God and the reality of our world. When those two things come into conflict, when these two things bump heads, I mean, there's tension to be found. There's conflict to be found. There's, there's, there's struggle as we're trying to reconcile what God has told us with how our lives are progressing. We've always felt a tension, right? God's people have always felt a tension between hope and, and fear, between joy and sorrow, between community and isolation between heaven and earth. And so when we look at the Psalms, what we see is time and time again a picture of how to see that tension and how to embrace it with an expression of praise. Time and time again, what we see in the Psalms is the author, the psalmist, seeing the tension, seeing the struggle, and yet no matter how he might feel at any given moment, no matter what might be happening in his context, in his circumstances, time and time again, he comes back to the bedrock, the foundation of truth that God is good and that he's in control. And so this morning in particular, we're going to see the psalmist address the tension that we find as we're trying to determine our own identity as individuals. At St. Francis High School in La Cañada, California, there's something to be said about math teacher Jim O'Connor. Substitute back for why. The question is, what is that something? When you think of him, does the word love come to mind? Obviously not. He's very, uh... For whatever reason, none of these kids would tell me what they really think of him. Oh, what's the word? Yeah, none of the boys have come in here and said, oh, God, we have hated him, you know, at times. Nobody said that. I wonder why. He's going to be seeing this, right? Oh, yeah, oh, that's why. <laughs> Truth is, Mr. O'Connor can be a bit of a drudge. You don't know what you're doing. But the 70-year-old Vietnam vet says he's not here to entertain his students. It drives me crazy when people say school should be fun. I mean, it's nice if it could be, but you can't make school fun. E to the KT times E to the C. And for years. Okay. The kids thought that's all there was to him, until last November, when senior Pat McGoldrick learned they didn't know the half of him. Pat was in charge of a student blood drive and had just come here to Children's Hospital Los Angeles for a meeting. He says it was weird. Whenever he told someone he went to St. Francis High School, they all said, oh, you must know Jim O'Connor. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful? What? Like, you know, it's disbelief, really. It's almost like kind of finding this alter ego that he has. Inside the blood donor center, Pat found a plaque listing all the top blood donors at the hospital, including the record holder, Jim O'Connor. Then he learned something even more unbelievable, that whenever Mr. O'Connor isn't torturing kids with calculus, he's on a whole nother tangent, cuddling sick babies. 
Come on, you can talk to me. Three days a week for the past 20 years, Jim has volunteered here. What? Stepping in when parents can't to hold, feed, and comfort their children. Solo. Nurse Aaron Schmidt says he's invaluable. They tend to calm for him. They tend to relax with him. They fall asleep with him. I just like them and relate to them somehow. Is that a smile? That Jim's a smile? never been married. He has no kids of his own. Yeah. But he has fallen hard for these babies. I don't want to see him alone. You can't do that. You're not a tough guy at all. I know, but don't, t- don't tell my students. <laughs> you know, sometimes people that have known us for years can still struggle to understand who we are. Our identities are, are a mystery to other people. And the reality is that many times our identities are confusing and frustrating and difficult to understand even for ourselves. Right? We struggle to understand who we are. Am I a husband or am I a father or am I a son or a brother or an employee or a boss or a friend or an enemy? Am I a teacher or am I a liar? Am I a minister? Am I a hypocrite? I don't know. Somewhere in the midst of all those roles, somewhere in the midst of all those attributes, of all those characteristics, I'm there, right? That, that's, that's who I am. And yet so many times it's difficult for us to ascertain, to really determine, man, who am I? How am I defined? So many times I, I know that I'm a Christian and, and even though I trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, right? That I, I've become a Christian because I trust in Jesus Christ. And yet even though I've trusted in him for the forgiveness of my sins, how can I still struggle? How can I not trust him with my sense of self-worth? How can I not trust him with the health of my family or with my future plans? There's a tension inherent to trying to determine who we are. So what do we do with that? tension. What do we do with that? Well, this morning we're looking in Psalm 105. And what we see in Psalm 105 is David, the king of Israel, one of many psalmists, he's addressing this idea. He's saying, man, when we look at who we are, when we find tension in trying to determine our own identities, he says, we just got to go back to the basics. He says, I'm going to take all these people, I'm going to take us back to just sort of this sort of firm foundation of who we are, of what we need, and of how we live. He says, this is what God has told us. God has told us who we are. He's told us what we need. He's told us how we should then live. He says, if we can come back to that, the tension's still there, but we can embrace it with joy. He starts off in one Psalm 105, uh, and he's, he's giving this psalm, he's, he's making this address to the nation of Israel because it's a pivotal time in the life of the nation, in the history of the nation. Uh, David has just become king. And he is leading Israel through a joyous time. They, they just recovered the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbolic throne of God. They, they had recovered it, and they're bringing it to Jerusalem, to their capital. They're, they're bringing it to this place of honor. And so all of Israel is excited. Man, they're jazzed, they're pumped, and then they're gathering, and they're just like, Israel, Israel, you know, just like spelling words and I don't know, whooping probably, I think it's biblical. And so they were, are just so jazzed up. And David takes this opportunity with this captive audience. He says, hey, listen. 
And he presents to them basically sort of a state of the union. He says, hey, look, I, I want to make sure that while we're all here, while we're all pumped, man, while we're all just sort of putting our attention uh, on who we are and we're, we're excited about what God's doing in our midst, he says, this is what I want to make sure we recognize. This is what I want to make sure we remember. He says, we need to remember that God has given us a clear identity. He says, you children of Abraham, God's servant, you descendants of Jacob, God's chosen ones. He says, he is the Lord our God. He carries out judgment throughout the earth. He always remembers his covenantal decree. The promise that he made to a thousand generations. The promise he made to Abraham. The promise he made to, by oath to Isaac. He gave it to Jacob as a decree. To Israel as a lasting promise. He says, look, I want you all to remember who we are. We are God's chosen ones. We're God's people. We're the children of God. He says, and this is something not to be taken lightly. This is a a promise that God has given us that has lasted generations. He says, man, think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these men, all these women that have gone before us. Think back on what God has told them and realize that it's still true. We're the chosen people of God. We're his family, his sons and his daughters. He says, don't forget that. But David knows he has to just start off with that. He has to start off with that truth because he knows that people then and people now, we struggle because with our identities because we try to just sort of make them up on our own. We try to find our identity in maybe the alignments that we have or in the actions that we've taken or the accomplishments that we've accrued for ourselves. In other words, we try to place our identity in, in what we're doing or maybe in what we've already done. Many times we find our identity in the alignments that we have in our life, the hometown we came from, right? I mean, that, that means a lot to us. So yeah, H-Town for life, Galveston, Look out for the foam, you know, whatever. I don't know. Like we have, we have these identities that, that are based in where we come from, we, whether we want to gig them or whether we want to hook them or whether we want to Caldwell sting them. Man, that's my favorite. Sting them. Maybe that's us. We are basing our identities on where we've been coming from or the sport team that we align ourselves with. We say, oh, my sports team's way better than your sports team. What? I beg to differ. And then, I don't know, like I, I'm not in that world. But there is, there's debate about that, right? We, we want to find our identity in the political party that we align with or with the school that we graduated from. Maybe we find our identity not in necessarily where we align ourselves, but just sort of in our actions. In other words, in what we're doing. We find our identity in the relationship that we're pursuing. I'm, I'm husband of so-and-so or son of so-and-so or I'm dating so-and-so or I'm really trying to date so-and-so. Can you... <laughs> Please help me. Like that's, that's an identity I come across a lot with college students. Or maybe it's, it's an identity that's based on the degree that we're pursuing or the career that we're in or making sure that everyone knows that school can't be fun. I don't know. We find our identity in the things that we align ourselves with and the actions that we take or in the accomplishments that we have, the trophy that we have on our mantle from that bowling league victory or the salary that we have on that pay stub. Because of what we've done, because of the work we put in, maybe the ring we have on our finger, because of the person we were able to tie down for, for the rest of our lives. Maybe, maybe it's in that name that we have on the plaque that, that says that we're the top donor to this organization or the top blood donor at this hospital. 
We will find, we will place our identity in all these different things, but the problem is that these self-determined identities, they create greater struggles. They lead to greater tension because they are always lacking, right? That, that high school ring is not nearly as shiny when you go to college. I always see fresh from first week of school that will show up on Texas A&M campus wearing their letter jackets from high school, and they learn very quickly, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't do it. We realize as we move to the next stage of life that, man, our boss doesn't necessarily respect or promote us based on our GPA. We have to work hard. We have to be working well with other people. There there are other new factors. Suddenly, these things that we've done in the past, they don't always carry forward the way we want them to. There's always a, a better team. There's always a better career. There's always a higher salary. There's always a higher status. These self-determined identities that we create for ourselves will always lead to greater struggle and tension because they're always lacking. They're never enough. And not only do they fail to fulfill us to the fullest extent that we want them to, but they just, they go away. They fade. Not only are they lacking, but they never last. We find ourselves moving through life where things end. Everything ends, whether we want it to or not. Sometimes we wanted to leave that town behind. Sometimes we wanted to quit that job. Yep, you know, we're done with that life. But at the same time, we didn't want this relationship to end. Or we didn't want this health struggle to pop up with, with ourselves or with our loved ones. We, we didn't want these things in our life to, to come to an end, and yet they do. And so as believers, as the children of God, as the people whom God chose, we have to recognize that our identity, it's not found in, in where we choose to go or in what we choose to do. Our identity is found in who chose us to be his children, on who chose us to be his people. God has gathered us as his people and he has given us an incredible promise. He says, I love you. I will always love you. And I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to spend eternity with you. And he says, and that is possible if you believe, if you trust, if you have faith in the truth, in the, in the historical event that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for your sake. He says, if you believe these things, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the one who can reconcile you with God. He says, man, I want to adopt you out of sin and death. I want to adopt you into my family as a son or daughter of the Lord Most High. He says, I want that. I want you. He says, this is the promise that we've been given, that we have a Father who loves us, that we have a Spirit who is given to, to guide us, and that we have a Savior who's coming back for us. And that's the promise we've been given. And this promise, this identity, it is sufficient and it is eternal. And while we might still question our alignments or our actions or our accomplishments, we can always trust God's assurances. We can always trust in what he said. That's why David takes the entire nation of Israel. That's why God is looking across time and space at us and he says, I want you to remember that you're my children. You're mine. That's who you are. You're a child of God. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are a child of God, and don't you ever forget that. Don't you believe any other lies. 
says we have to remember this. We have to trust in this. But do we? Right? Are you of the people of God? Have you personally trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Is that you? Are you still questioning? Is that just a faith that you've heard about? Or is that something that maybe your parents had that you've just never really kind of bought into? Or if you are of the people of God, do you trust him as your father? See, David knows that it's, it's hard. It's hard to trust God's promises, especially when it comes to our own protection or, or, or our own provision, right? He, he's going to move through the chapter, and he, after he kind of starts with this foundation, he starts to build on it. He says, yeah, hey, look, this is who you are. He says, but here's what I know. You're going to struggle with what you need. And so he takes him to verse 12, where he says, we're kind of talking about the nation of Israel, the historical Israel. He says, when they were few in number, right? Well, so when your ancestors were few in number, Israel, just a very few, and they were resident aliens within it, or there were resident aliens within it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, and God let no one oppress them. David looks at Israel, he says, look, in the past, you know what he did? He disciplined kings. For their sake, for the sake of your homeless, wandering ancestors, he disciplined kings. He brought nations to their knees, saying, don't touch my chosen ones. Do not harm my prophets. David's reminding Israel, he says, look, God is a good father who's going to bring protection when it's needed says you can trust in his promises. You can trust in his faithfulness. You can trust in his protection. But the reality is that, man, we still struggle with that, right? We still struggle and have this tension where we worry and we're afraid that we're going to lose what we need. We're we're afraid of losing what we have in our lives, the things that we've secured for ourselves. We're worried that those things are going to be just taken away. Hi, Margaret. (laughs) Beep, beep. Yep, our car says beep, beep. No, no, Margaret. These are my stickers. Dan Dan's stickers. Margaret wants my stickers. No, Margaret, no. These are my stickers. They're not for you. No. Hey, hey, hey. What's going on? It's all right, baby Margaret. Tell Margaret she can't have my stickers. Whoa. Welcome to the high-stakes drama of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Life in the hood starts with Daniel, and it's intense, and this is where I live. This is like my life right now uh, with my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and uh, we will see in ourselves. I mean, I watch these things. I see these simple lessons that are played out to my daughter who's two-and-a-half, my son who's five months old, and man, the reality is that there is universal truth, and there is universal uh, <laughs> just uh, attributes. There's, there's, there's a universal thread to this type of situation where we see, even as small children, are, are worried about like, oh my gosh, that's this my toy. Man, I'll never forget when my daughter was maybe like just over one and she learned that term, mine. I say, no, Shah, this is my house. Mine! My car keys or my toy or whatever it is. And other kids will try to play with things or we want to share with things. And, and it's no, it's mine. Mine, 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 mine. And we have this intrinsic peace to who we are. There's this part of being human where we want to struggle and we want to fight because we think we need to hold on to whatever we think we need because we earned it. 
Because we deserve it. Man, I put in the years to earn that salary, to earn that promotion. I put in the hard work to get this type of family. Or I put in all this effort to make sure that I'm a certain level of healthiness. And when something's threatening to take that away, when some person or some situation arises where where suddenly it looks like maybe I'm going to lose my grasp on that house or that dream or that plan or that person, we fight. And we struggle. We, we dig in our heels. We say, nah. And David's looking at the nation of Israel and he says, you don't need to do that. Why? Because you have a father who's faithful. Because you're God's chosen people and God has promised that he's going to protect you in the way you need to be protected. It's not always going to look the way we want it to look. Even the nation of Israel had to face persecution, exile, death, and destruction. But ultimately, God says, I'm going to bring to you, I'm I'm going to provide for you the protection that you need, that I know you need. So trust in that. But we don't just struggle to hold on to the things that we already have. David also knows that we're going to struggle to, to try to grasp, to try to run for, and try to grab the things that we don't have. David looks at the nation of Israel and says, hey, you know what? You, you know what also happened with your ancestors? God spread out a cloud for a cover when they needed one. He provided a fire to light up the night when there was darkness. They asked for food. He sent quails. He satisfied them with food from the sky. He didn't just send these birds to, to be their food. He would send them manna. He'd send them this bread substance every single day. He would give them exactly what they needed for that day. David says you can trust not only that God will protect you and, and make sure that you're taken care of in terms of the, the, the enemies that might be, maybe are going to attack you or try to take things away from you. He says you can trust that he's going to provide what you need. He opened up a rock and water flowed out. A river ran through dry regions. In the middle of a desert, he, he made water appear. Why? For his people, because he wanted, to provide, he wanted to provide what they needed. Yes, he remembered the sacred promise that he made to Abraham, his servant. He was fulfilling that promise to take care of him, to provide what he needed. And yet so often we struggle And we struggle to trust God's provision. We struggle to trust that God's really going to be our our provider. We're afraid of missing out on what we don't already have. My daughter Charlotte is wonderful. She's in dance class this summer, which is the cutest thing I've ever seen. And she is just in this stage of life where she has no filter. And I really, I appreciate in a lot of ways uh, because, man, I never have to really wonder, like, what's, what's on her heart? Like, I know that eventually there's going to come a stage in our relationship where I'm going to just be racking my brain, like, what is she thinking? Like, why is she doing this stuff? Right now, I know exactly what she thinks any moment of any day because she will tell me. And if we are walking through a store or if we are walking through our home or if we're in really just any environment, Charlotte is always just trustworthy and faithful to tell me what she thinks she needs, right? She loves to say at this stage of life, she loves to say, I need that. I need that. 
I say, Charlotte, no, like this is uh, motor oil. Like that is, you know, use I need that. I need that. I need it. And suddenly she will lose her mind. And if she is convinced that she needs something, man, and generally it's like a toy or it's like a food item or a treat or whatever. It's never like oxygen or shelter, right? I would understand that. I would say, yes, girl, you do need that truth. But she will fight and scratch and, and, and be so stressed out and so afraid that she needs this thing. And she points to this guy, I need it, I need it. And, and I've seen her do this. And even though it, you know, I, I try to be patient, I try to be gracious, it can bring a lot of frustration. But I realized at some point, as like dealing with her, explaining to her for like the hundredth time, like, no, Charlotte, you don't need that you know, whatever, ant poison. As I was explaining this to her, I realized, oh my goodness, you sweet little mirror. <laughs> and I saw myself, I had been struggling even just personally with, with thinking about things that I needed in my life. With this recognition that I needed, this salary that I needed, or this uh, vacation that I needed, or this whatever it is that I needed. And so many times we can lose sight of the fact that God is our good father and we walk through life and we're just so convinced that we need these things, that I need that. And God's pulling us aside and says, hey, listen, I I promise, like, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to provide the food that you need or the shelter that you need. I'm going to provide what I know you need. And yet so many times we just, we just can't believe it. We struggle and we fight and we try to secure the recognition or the relationship or the GPA or the salary or the health or the the lifestyle that we feel we deserve. But it's never enough. It's never enough. God says, I I love you. I'm going to give you what you need. Again, it's not going to always be what you want. It's not always going to be the picture that you were imagining. It's not always going to be the life that you were envisioning for yourself. That person's going to go away, or that, that cancer's going to rise up, or that job is going to fall through, or that plan is going to dis- dissolve. I, it's not always going to be what we want. It's not. Jesus promises suffering for his people alongside of that provision. But he says, You can trust that what God says is true. And God has told you that he loves you and that he's going to protect you and that he's going to provide for you. See, on our own, we want to make sure that everyone gets what they deserve. I deserve this thing and no one should take it away from me. I I deserve that thing and so I should should be able to grab it and, and, and get it. But the truth of our reality is that we all deserve death. Right? If everyone got what they deserved, it's, it's death. That's what Romans 1 tells us. No one's problem is ignorance or, 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 or just being off, slightly off. Romans 1 tells us that everyone's problem is rebellion. That we've rebelled and forsaken the God who made us and loves us. And so what we deserve because of that error, because of that fault, because of that sin... What we deserve is death. We deserve eternal separation from the God who made us and loves us. And yet, we don't live based on what we deserve. We don't live based on merit. Thankfully, what God has told us, what Christ has shown us, is that we live by grace. Undeserved favor. 
mercy, and love from God. It's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. By grace. No one seeks after the Father on their own, and yet God moved. It's not love that we love God first. It's we find love in the fact that God loved us first, that he sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. While we were still dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. God loved us. God chose us. God grabbed us, and he says, I want to provide life for you. I want to give you eternal, satisfying life. Do we trust that? Or do we doubt? I mean, I, I still doubt and struggle to trust God's provision. I still struggle to doubt God's protection I, or to trust God's protection. I still struggle to trust God's grace. I, I don't want to forgive myself or, or I think that I need these things. I mean, I, I struggle with that tension, which is why I think it's so crucial that David looks at the nation of Israel and he says, hey, you know what? I know you're going to struggle. I, I know you're going to be burdened. So I'm going to point you to Scripture. Right? I'm going to point you to revealed truth. He says, but I'm also going to point you to your past. I think one of the wonderful practical pieces we find from Psalm 105 is just looking back on our lives and recognizing the work that God has accomplished already. What we can look back on and say, wow, God really moved through that situation, or he really turned this thing around, or he really brought that person to my life when I needed it, or, or he said these things, or he brought these things, or he provided this stuff. And, and suddenly if we see the faithfulness of God in our lives, man, it can bring assurance in our present. And even if maybe we're so blind that we look back, we're like, man, there's nothing. God hasn't done anything for me. What's beautiful about our scripture is that we can look back at the death of Jesus Christ. And we say, regardless of what has happened since then, I know that God loves me. Why? Because he died for me. He died so that I might live. He took on sin so that I might be made righteous, so that I might be made perfect in his sight. So how now shall we live? That's what David comes full circle to. That's, that's where he lands on. He's not just going to tell the people of Israel, this is who you are, what you need. He says, this is how we live in light of these truths. Closing out the chapter, closing out the psalm, he's describing the nation of Israel being delivered from enemies by God. And he says, and when God led his people out, they rejoiced. His chosen, one, his chosen ones, they shouted with joy. He handed the territory of nations over to them. They took possession of what other peoples had produced. God had been preparing a place for them. These lawless, godless, horrific nations were living in this land, and God knew that it was going to be for Israel. He knew it was going to be for his people, and yet he allowed this evil to exist so that they would produce things that Israel could just walk into. They produce cities and, and vineyards and, and, and crops, and they had all this infrastructure set up so that God's people could just walk in and just take it. This man, God had this plan all along. And his people, man, they're rejoicing in that fact. They're, they're finding joy in the fact that God has given them this territory. He's given them this, this blessing. He says, and when they've been given these things, why? Why have they been given these things? It's so that they might keep his commands. So that they might obey his laws. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He says, when we look 
at God's work in the nation of Israel, we see that he delivered them out of adversity. He delivered them. He protected them. And he provided for them after he chose them. And he did it all. Why? So that they might keep his commands, obey his laws, so that they might praise the Lord. God has chosen us to be his people, not just so that we can sit back and enjoy the protection and provision that he's promised. God has chosen us to be his people so that we might live so that we might worship, so that we might serve. And that's our purpose, to love God, to love people, to go to the ends of, these, of this earth telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been given a purpose. And we try to figure out our, our, our own purposes by following our hearts. We say, be, you know, just follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Chase your bliss. But the reality is that, man, that self-determined trajectory, it's, it's going to, oh man, it's going to create so much struggle and tension and frustration because our hearts are always changing and, and our hearts are so often wrong. I mean, who's still dating the person that they were just crushing on in seventh grade? Who's still with that person? Amos? Okay. I'm sorry. Love lost. No, I'm just kidding. No, but Why? Because our heart was going in a direction that we realized over time was not a good direction, right? We look back on ourselves, we look back on our lives, and we say, oh, sweet 8-year-old or 18-year-old or 28-year-old or whatever-year-old past self, you're so sweet, but you're so dumb (laughs) to date that person, to have that dream. I was convinced when I was a kid, when I was like 10, that I was going to live with my parents forever. I was convinced. I had debates with my mom where she's like, Jacob, I, you're really, I promise, you're not going to want to live it. Like, you're going to get married. What are you going to do with your wife? Like, We're going to live here. <laughs> the food is good. My room is spacious. We can just hang out with you guys all the time. It'll be awesome. I was convinced. I look back and I say, okay. Not, not, not wisdom speaking there. That would destroy me. We look back on ourselves and we say, man, you know what? My heart actually isn't always the best director. It's not always the best indicator of where I need to be going next. And that's why God looks at us. He says, hey, you don't need to just follow your heart. You don't need to just sort of see where your passions lead you. He says, I'm going to give you specific, exact instruction and truth. He says, this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you this purpose to worship me and to serve me, to know me and to make me known. To love me, to love each other, to love the lost, and to tell everyone about Jesus. So that's your purpose. That's why you're here. Now that can play out in a lot of different contexts. It's not wrong to still desire to work in this industry or that industry or have this family or whatever it is. Man, plans are good. We need to be responsible with what God has given us. But he says, but ultimately you need to recognize the top plan, the ultimate purpose is to worship and serve your God. That's something that we can fall back on, we can rely on, something that we can turn our eyes towards. Even when these things get cloudy, we can look up, we say, there's my North Star. There's the point on the horizon that I'm chasing, to know and make known the God of the universe who revealed himself through Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. David looks at himself, he looks at the nation of Israel, he says, man, who are we? 
What's our identity? And what we see in Psalm 105 is David recognizing and seeing himself as God's chosen one. As someone who God would protect. As someone who God would provide for. Someone who had a purpose to worship and serve that God who loved him, who made him, who saved him. So what do we believe? How do we see ourselves? Let's go before the Lord and ask him. God, we thank you that you have given us truth. That you've given us absolutes. The Lord, that you've set up instruction for us to follow. Lord, it's not something that constricts us or constrains us or should frustrate us. But Lord, it's something that should bring us life and joy. Lord, something that should make us thankful that we're not just aimlessly wandering. But that, Lord, you've given us a clear, constant, fulfilling direction. But God, we struggle to see it. Lord, we struggle to trust in it. If you would take a moment right now and just be honest with God. Say, God, this is, I mean, this is, this is what I'm struggling with right now. I, I don't know if I really trust in who you say I am. I feel like a failure. I feel like a this or a that. Or I'm hearing these things from these people. Or I'm telling myself these things when I'm trying to go to bed at night. And God, I just have a hard time believing that you really love me. Confess that to him. Or God, I tr- I, I'm struggling. I, I don't know if I trust that you're really going to give me what I need. Lord, my kid is sick. God, that's tearing me up. God, my job is in jeopardy or my family's falling apart or my friend has abandoned me. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling to believe that you're going to protect me or that you're going to provide for me. Just confess these things to the Lord. He knows how you feel. He knows how you think. It's not new to him. But we still need to confess it. We still need to admit it. So take a moment, confess that to him and say, God, this is where I'm at. But then ask the Lord not to just let you sit there, but to move you forward. That his spirit, the Holy Spirit that resides within every believer would would move you forward, would, would take you beyond that discipline, would strengthen your faith, would provide the people you need to talk to or the, the, the book you need to read, the conversation you need to have. Ask that God would would move in your life, would take you forward in the midst of that frustration or tension. That he would reveal himself more fully to you in the midst of that struggle. Confess those things and ask of those things right now.